Well, this letter to the Hebrews, uh, <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's been challenging for your pastor, and I trust, I hope it's been challenging for you all as well. That this letter is written to encourage the church, to grow in our faith. Uh, we're to grow in the faith by growing in the knowledge of God's Word. That the church is, is told to mature in the things of, of God, to grow up. The church is told to hold on to the faith, to, to persevere. And warnings are given to not fall away as suffering will come, as challenge will come. And we are, we are to hold fast to the faith to, to, through persecution. During persecution, and, and our faith will grow, as well as our knowledge in the, in the things of God and the, and the hope and the knowledge of Jesus. And with chapter 1, when it came to a close, we saw that the writer to the Hebrews, again, it's an anonymous letter. We don't know who wrote the letter, but we know that God's Holy Spirit is the supreme author of it. And, and as chapter 1 came to a close, we saw that the writer to the Hebrews, he underscored the reality of Jesus' superiority over the angels, and then later on, Jesus' superiority over Moses. And why does this matter? Well, it further establishes that Jesus is the Son of God, and yet Jesus is God with us. Jesus condescended to come and dwell with man and to make a way for us to know him and to know the Father and to have a relationship of be able to have a relationship of peace with God. And and Jesus is as worthy and as, as the, how the angels help and as worthy as Moses has been as a founder of our faith, one of the founders, we know that Jesus uh, is is superior. And we've seen the benefits of salvation. All of us who have trusted in Jesus lordship through his sacrifice. We are made holy by Jesus. We've been given his righteousness. If we've trusted in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that's the message of salvation. If we've come to him in our sin and said, Lord, we, I, I need forgiveness because I, I feel the guilt of, of my sin, my sin burden, and, and with Jesus, what happens? Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us while we were in our sin. And, and we know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that God who made Jesus, and Jesus knew no sin, but God made Jesus become sin for us so that we would have the very righteousness of God given to us. So if we've trusted in Jesus' lordship through his sacrifice, we were made holy. And that's good news. We have been given his righteousness because he's taken our sins upon himself, and we are connected to him. And because we share in that, we are connected to one another as well, as the church. That's one of the benefits of our faith. And, and, and we saw last time, in chapter 3, verse 6, that, that we are to hold firmly in our confidence and the boast of our hope. We're, we're to hold on to our confidence in Jesus. And, and last time... There in chapter 3, we were given words of both encouragement and warning. And the thing about that, words of encouragement can be words of warning. Encouraging words can also serve as a heads up. And vice versa, words of warning should be words of encouragement. We're going to begin today in, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 15. The writer to the Hebrews quotes 
an Old Testament verse. Today, if you hear his voice, that's the Lord's voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as the Israelites provoked God. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all of those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Again, if you were not with us a couple of weeks ago, um, some of this is going to sound kind of strange. But bear with me. With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And then chapter 4 begins this way. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it, to come short of entering the Lord's rest. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So, so what is the writer telling us? Because the language seems, it kind of puts us at arm's length. What, what are we hearing here? All right. Verse 15, while it, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not Harden your hearts as when they provoked me. Who provoked the Lord? Look at verse 16. Who provoked the Lord? And the writer to the Hebrews gives a summary of what we saw just a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of Hebrews 3. All of those who came out of Egypt with Moses. In Exodus 17, following the exodus out of Egypt, all the congregation of Israel is camping in the wilderness. And there is no water for the people to drink. And they begin to grumble against Moses. They begin to complain. Why now have you brought us from Egypt now to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They're quarreling with Moses. They're they're actually, they're grumbling, and this is actually testing Moses. And really, it's not just testing Moses. It's testing the Lord. So Moses, he cries out to the Lord. What shall I do to this people? They're going to kill me. They're going to stone me. And the Lord says to Moses, this is Exodus 17, verse 5, Pass before the people and take in your hand your staff, that, that staff which I gave you, the one that I have worked miracles through you there in front of Pharaoh and the Nile and the Red Sea. Take that staff and go. And behold, I'm going to stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. I'm going to stand on the rock, and you're going to take that staff, you're going to strike the rock, and water will come from it. So the Lord himself will stand on the rock, and Moses has been commanded to take the staff and strike the rock, thereby, in essence, striking the Lord. Moses does so. Who provoked the Lord, Israel? They have provoked the Lord. And with whom, here in verse 17 this morning, with whom was the Lord angry for 40 years? Israel. All those who sinned, their bodies fell in the wilderness. What happened? What happened? Well, a little bit later in the wilderness journey, they're nearing the promised land. They're nearing the land of Canaan. And the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, send out men so that they can spy out Canaan. 
And so they're gone for 40 days. And they return, and then Moses is given a report from these spies. And if you... Your children or grandchildren, if you ever hear us, if you ever ask them a question, you know you're in for a good time if they begin their response this way. Well, what happened was this. And, you know, I've asked my children if there's been an issue or something, and I'll say, what, what's going on? And anytime I get the, the preamble being, well, what happened? You know you're in for quite a tale. Well, the same thing happens here. And so you hear this, well, Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. And, and it certainly does flow with milk and, and honey and fruit. But nevertheless, the people who, who live in the land, they're strong, and, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And Well, you've got Joshua and Caleb, and they are faithful, and they're obedient to the Lord. And, and Caleb is trying to encourage his brothers there. So he's saying, you know, the Lord has given us this land. We need to be obedient and take the land. We need to listen to the Lord, but to take possession of it. And but they don't hear of it. They won't hear of it. And so what happens? So Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, they begin to hear Israel grumble. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I'm kind of recapping this. Grumbling is testing. It's a problem. And, and, and they say things like, when you read it, Numbers 14, verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept. I mean, wine, 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 wine. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones, will they're going to become plunder. And would it not have been better for us just to return to Egypt? You can hear them. We've all whined before. We, we know what it's like to whine. They plan to c- commit mutiny against Moses to find them a leader that will take them back. And they're not really commuting mutiny against Moses. It's mutiny against the Lord. Well, Moses and Aaron are saying, please don't rebel. Please don't rebel against God. And, and what happens? The glory of the Lord shows up. They're at the tent of meeting. And, and all in front of all of Israel, in front of all those thousands and tens of thousands, the Lord and his manifest presence. Imagine if that happened to us today. And the Lord tells Israel, says to Moses, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite everything I've, they've watched me do? All I've performed in their midst. And the Lord says, as I live... All the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen. But surely everyone who has seen my glory and my signs, which I've been performing since Egypt and in the wilderness, but this people have put me to the test repeatedly, and they've not listened to me. And so now these ones who have grumbled and who have tested and have been disobedient, they by no means, they will not See the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who have spurned me see it. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness. What a horrible thing to hear the Lord say. And he goes on and he says, Your children will, will actually wander in the wilderness 
for the next 40 years until every one of your generation dies out. And the writer to the Hebrews this morning in verse 18 says, To whom did the Lord swear that they would not enter his rest? All those who were disobedient. All those who grumbled. All those who quarreled. All of those who tested the Lord and what he said. All of those who were disobedient were not able to enter the Lord's rest because, as verse 19, verse 19 tells us, because of unbelief. They didn't have faith in what the Lord said. And if they didn't have faith in what he said, they couldn't be faithful to him. Likewise, if we don't have faith in what the Lord tells us now, we can't be faithful to him. It's a question. Are there times when you and I don't have faith in what the Lord says? If we don't have faith in it, we can't be faithful to those words. We can't be faithful to him. Look back at 15 for just a second. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when the Israelites provoked me. And, and one of the things about the book of Hebrews and some other New Testament texts, they, they, the, the writers of these, they will... They'll revisit a scenario, and then the next set of verses, they'll kind of revisit it again. And so two weeks ago, we saw this thing about the hardened heart, but knowing this was coming up, this next section, I thought a little bit more about the hardening of the heart. It gives us an opportunity to, re to revisit this. The hardened heart, the, the evil, unbelieving heart, that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Why is the heart a problem? Well... We'd rather listen to the heart than anything else. Because the heart, the heart is our biggest allowance for indulgence. Let me explain. But the heart, in essence, is undiluted. The heart is full force. The heart is undiluted and unfiltered self at its most intense. Why do we love to listen to the heart? You see, when we listen to the heart, we're listening to ourselves. Because the heart, in essence is the self at its most selfish. And, and see, culture has championed the voice of the heart since time began. What's the problem with the voice of the heart? Last time I pointed you to a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. When the Lord says this about the heart, he says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. What? No way. What about all these songs about the heart? And I want my heart. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. The heart is desperately sick. 
And we read in Jeremiah 17, who can understand the heart? You see, again, the heart, in essence, is undiluted. It's full force. It's undiluted and unfiltered self at its most selfish. We're not to trust the heart because the heart is deceitful. What does that mean? It means the heart lies. Your heart lies. My heart lies. Despite all of the well-meaning platitudes such as, well, just follow your heart. We've probably, we've all heard that phrase, just follow your heart. We've probably, truth be told, we've said that as a well-meaning line of encouragement to a loved one, to a friend. Just follow your heart. We've probably all said it. But here's the challenge with, with that statement. If the heart is self at its most selfish, Jake, what are we saying then? What are we communicating? What you're saying to Jake, when you're telling Jake to follow his heart, you're saying, Jake, follow your Jake. Just follow your Jake. Bill, just follow your Bill. Susie, just follow your Susie. Ted, just just follow your Ted. Insert your name here. And see, what happens when we listen to and we trust the heart, we are giving ourselves, ultimately we're giving ourselves a free pass. We are giving ourselves permission to grant ourselves whatever we want. Whatever we wish and whenever. And if we're following, if Jake's following Jake, who is Jake not following ultimately? Do you really want a pastor who follows his heart? Mm-mm. No. We are not listening to and trusting the Lord when we follow ourselves. What happens? We disregard his words. We disregard this, and and we disregard his commands. And ultimately what we're doing when we disregard this, we are disregarding him. And we find ourselves turning away from the Lord. And see, that's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place for one to find him or herself to turn away from the Lord, to, in essence, to fall away. Look back just a moment at at verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, here in Hebrews. What does the writer to the Hebrews tell us in verse 12? To be careful, to take care. To take care, brothers, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are commanded to encourage one another to not lose heart. That's my job. That's not just my job. It is my job, but it's not just my job. We're to encourage one another. There's a writer named Peterson, and he says this. He says, the challenge for people in every generation... 
The challenge is to be aware of the condition of their hearts and to face each new situation with a genuine desire to trust God and to obey him. Verse 14 tells us that if we've become partakers of Christ, if we've trusted in Jesus' lordship, we're to keep on trusting. And we're to keep on being obedient. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance. I don't know all of you in here. I know some of you. and I know some of your stories of salvation and whether it had, maybe it was a vacation Bible school or maybe one night after church or a Sunday morning in Sunday school, when what happened, your heart was, was, was listen, listening to the voice of the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was communicating himself to you and in the softness and the pliable, the softness of your heart, you realized that you needed you needed forgiveness for your sin. It was a, a Sunday night in June of 1984 when I realized that I needed forgiveness for my sins. You know, the heart is listening. And, and that assurance that you were given, the assurance that I received when I found out that, yes, Jesus came to heal the heart. Jesus came to bring peace, forgiveness. Jesus came to bring salvation, but yet he's got to be Lord. <laughs> you know, when, the, when the, those early believers there in Matthew, they talk about Jesus as Lord. You're saying Jesus is in charge. Jesus, I want you to forgive my sins because I'm a sinner, but I really need you to be in charge of my life. And I, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I believe that, and I want to confess to all around me that you are Lord. And at that moment, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, at that moment of belief when you've heard the truth, the Holy Spirit descends and you are sealed in Him. Mm, that's good news. But that assurance that you received at whatever moment, if, if you've had that moment, awesome. If you haven't, I'm happy to talk to you about that moment <laughs> that can come for you, that you can arrive. But, but if you've had that moment at some point in life, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here, you need to remember that moment, that, that blessed assurance like we just sang earlier. Hold fast to the beginning of our assurance. And if you and I hold on to what we trusted at the very beginning of our faith journeys, because hopefully our some total religious salvation experience with Jesus just doesn't begin and end with that night of June in 84. Hopefully it's gone on for the last 38 years. <laughs> Hopefully we're still growing and going and walking with Jesus. But we're to hold firm to the end, the writer tells us. And, and see, when we hold firm to the end, then when things arise and when health crises arise and when family crises arise and job crises arise and relational crises arise, then if we're holding firm to Jesus, then what happens? This is our faith being tested and this is our faith on display as a testimony to the Lord. You see, when I share with you about the challenges that, that my family has undergone with all the medical things, you're actually, you're giving me encouraging words, but you're also watching to see how my faith is being shaped. Because I'm, I'm watching, well, you know, <laughs> alert, that's what I'm doing with y'all. I'm watching how is, how is God shaping 
my flock? What are they learning? What's, what, what ministry is the Lord bringing to their lives and their hearts and their spirits when their faith is being challenged? And how can I help and how can I listen and how can I encourage them? See, we encourage one another. And see, that's what we've been told here in this letter, that our faith in Jesus encourages one another. And we're to encourage day after day after day. And you know, we're not to wait. What did the writer say? We're, we're to start while it's still today. You don't have to wait till Monday at 1 p.m. <laughs> you can start today. And we're to help one another. Well, why? Well, if you've not had this happen, you probably will. This temptation will arise if you've not had it. Sometimes a heart can be tempted to become so hardened by disappointment that the heart can be tempted to turn away from the Lord in unbelief. Hardened by the deceitfulness, what we see here in this letter, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This writer, Peterson, says that sin is personified as a power that leads people to doubt God's word and to resist his will. And the writer, and Peterson goes on to say, persistence in such behavior leads to an insensitivity towards God and the possibility of missing out on his rest. You know, at that moment of salvation, when your heart, when my heart was so sensitive to a move of God and, and we were feeling the, the, the guilt of being sinners and we were feeling conviction, thank God for that feeling. But what happens if we begin to not listen to that voice, then our heart kind of starts to get a little calloused. And like these guitar-playing fingers, once they have calluses, they don't feel. They function, but they don't feel. And when our hearts go from feeling to just simply functioning, they... Preacher, that's a quote. I have to remember that. <laughs> but when that heart begins to just not feel but to function only, it becomes hardened. Hardened against the things of God. And, and Peterson says this, Sin's deception is to make people believe that ignoring the will of God will have no consequences. Let me say that again. Sin's deception is to make people believe that ignoring the will of God will have no consequences. Again, it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place for one to find him or herself. Mm. Chapter 4. Therefore, while promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear if any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Let us, let us fear. Let us, let us be careful. Let us take the appropriate steps to make sure that none of us come short of the promise of entering the Lord's rest. What I've, what I've said before, you've heard me say this, we'll all have to come to the realization we've got, we've got to engage the rea reality of who Jesus is, and it's a whole lot better to do it on this side of life. It's better to do it now because when the Lord returns, it's going to be too late to settle it then. It's best to take care of that now. Jesus came to deal with sin. I'm a sinner and I want Jesus to deal with my sin now before it's too late. 
I don't want to fall short of this. What are we to ultimately remember? Look at verse 2 here. Good news. (laughs) For indeed we have had good news preached to us. What did I tell you? These words of warning, these should be words of encouragement and vice versa. It says here, just as they, the Israelites, had also heard this good news preached, but the word they heard didn't profit them because it was not united in faith in those who heard. What's, what's the writer saying? Well, I like the way the NIV writes this. I like the way the NIV phrases the original language. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they didn't share the faith of those who obeyed. You see, Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb there, when all of this was going down there at Canaan land, these were ones who obeyed what the Lord said regarding taking the promised land. But see, the other genera- that generation that whined and complained and groaned and because they didn't get their way, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They didn't trust what the Lord said. They were not faithful to the Lord. And what happened? They died in the wilderness. They were following their hearts. Mark chapter 8, two verses. In Mark 8, Jesus has summoned the crowd and his disciples. And In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake... We'll save it. You can't follow Jesus. I can't follow Jesus. We can't follow Jesus if we're following our heart. A moment ago, I, I shared with you that moment when the Lord said, I'll stand on the rock, Moses, and you will pick up that staff, and you will strike the rock, and water will come from it. In the very same way, Jesus, on the cross, on that day that we know is Good Friday, He was struck for us. And Jesus, being stricken there, taking all of our sins upon himself. The water of new life, the water of resurrection life, the water of the cleansing of sin came forth. And we can access that if we follow him. 